to Divorce Happy Hour. I'm Christina Previtt. I'm John Notlinger. We're two divorce lawyers talking about every topic you want to know before, after, and during divorce. Today's topic is what you can and cannot do during your divorce. How's it going this morning, John? I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired from watching the World Series last night. Yeah, I don't. I kind of barely know what that is. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not happy because I'm an Astros fan and they lost last night. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're like, is World Series baseball? What's baseball? I'll never forget one time when I was a law clerk. It was World Series time. This was a long time ago. And everybody was talking about the game. And I didn't, I swear to God, I probably shouldn't admit this publicly. I didn't know what game they were talking about. I swear to God. I looked (laughs) at them and I'm like, I was so embarrassed. I knew it was something big (laughs) that I should know. And I didn't know it. Well, I was going to say the World Series and the Super Bowl are probably the two biggest sports events of the year. Yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, I like the Super Bowl. I'm I'm more into the social aspect of things, not necessarily the sport. The social or the food part? Well, all of it. Do you do sports betting? No. I just it scares me. It scares mm. me. Um I I I don't really quite understand what the odds are. Like when I see the odds, I'm like well, I don't even understand what this thing is. Like I you see like 3 to 1. I'm like does that mean if I bet 100 bucks and the team wins I get $300, but I don't think it's like that. I think it's more complicated oh, than that. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, obviously, I don't do sports betting because I don't watch sports. But my it's much easier. Into it. Like roulette's easier. You put money on red, it hits red. You win money. Well, actually, I think if you're into gambling, I would think sports betting might be a little more exciting because you actually have to wait longer to see if you won. I think the anticipation of seeing if you won is much greater because if you're playing cards, it's like it's right there. It's immediate, right? That's my theory anyway. No, I, it, it's a good theory, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I know it's really big now, especially like in New Jersey since it's legal here now. I know it's a really big uh, it, thing, and I know all the casinos down in Atlantic City have these huge rooms now devoted to sports yeah, betting. And yeah, they're pretty cool, and I was just in Vegas actually with you, and it, I think they've been doing it for a while out there, yeah. but it's, it's a thing. It's like a big offense. Yeah, I think um, last time I was at Borgata down at Lake City, it looked like they were renovating an entire area of the uh, casino floor just for sports betting. So it's, it's going to be gonna, huge. It's going to be a big moneymaker. And I'm actually wondering what happened now to all the bookies that are out there that were doing it all on the sly. Do, are they out of business now? Probably. Probably. I don't know. I was asking somebody about it, and they said, nah, people will still do that. <laughs> well, we are live today. We are. Usually you're listening to us recorded, but today we're live. So I don't, we'll see what happens. If anybody wants to call in with any questions, you can reach us at 732-545-9282. Just keep it clean, okay? <laughs> yeah, I guess I clean. should say that to myself. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> so today's topic is what you can and cannot do during divorce. So if you have any questions about this, that, give us a call. And I want to ask you, John, you've been doing this 15 years? Yeah. That's about how long I've been doing it. And I think over that time period, you, everybody always asks me if I have fun stories. But most of the stories are kind of the same. Now, more. You know, most of the, oops, most <laughs> of the, sorry, I said we're going live, but, you know, we're not used to that. Um, most of the stories um, are the same. Yeah. Right? Like, it's. I call them just a garden variety divorce. So most of it is just the same. Everybody thinks their husband's the worst. Everybody thinks their wife is the worst. But I hate to break it to you. The truth is, they're probably not. No. There's another... I, 
can't curse. So I had to talk to the producers this morning about that, but I can't curse. So I, I'll be nice. <laughs> Most of you, if your husband is a jerk or if you're, you think your wife's a jerk, you know, there's another one out there just like them. There's probably several more just like Yeah, them. sorry to break it to you. But every once in a while, you do get someone that sort of breaks the mold and they do something that is super crazy. And, you know, maybe sometimes a little funny. What if, what stories do you have? Is there anybody that really stands out in your mind? There is one that really stands out in my mind. Um, just because it's one of those things where we hear all the time people will say, oh, my, my husband's been doing X, Y, and Z. They've been taking things out of the house or they've been spending money or whatever. And a lot of times it's minimal and you're like, yeah, just let it go. I had a case one time where my client, I was representing the wife and she told me that things were disappearing from the house. And, you know, and I told her, okay, well, are you sure? Do John, you know? is this the Crock-Pot case? No, it's not. It's okay. not. It's not. But that one we should talk about in yeah. a minute, too. Um, you know, things are disappearing from the house. And I was like, yeah, okay. So then I, she would, like, have a list of a couple of things that were missing. It was minimal stuff. Like those little, like, like little, uh, what are they called? The little, like, little statues or little, like, ceramic little I don't things know what that people. Put, I don't have those things. Yeah, whatever. Um, knickknacks, so, little knickknacks and stuff. Anyway, so she said things started missing, and um, and I sort of talked her out of it to a, a, an extent because they were minimal, and I was like, we'll deal with it at the end. They um, weren't valuable, right? Yeah, they weren't valuable. So, um, so about two or three months later, she called me in a panic, and she apparently they lived in a big house. I think it was like six or seven bedrooms. And I guess there was a couple rooms in the house she just never went into because they were, you know, they were going through a divorce, but they were sort of separated within their own house. So it's like. Yeah. And that's typical. Yeah, it's typical. But this was a big house. So, like, basically she got a wing and he got a wing, that kind of thing. And um, so one day she calls me and she's like losing her mind. She's like, the police are here. I've been robbed. <laughs> like, <laughs> OK. So she starts sending me pictures. All right. So apparently. Like, right in plain sight, her husband had cleared out three rooms of their house while they're living together in the same house. And she was a stay-at-home parent. So she was home all day. And somehow, he slowly cleared out all the stuff. And so there were, like, rooms that just had nothing left in them. And, of course, one of the rooms had all of these they were they collected some kind of like antique instruments like they had like a violin from like 1700 and like a like so their house is so big that he was moving things out and she didn't even know yeah so um of course he was alleging that she was she was a drunk and was passed Uh, out all the time i was just gonna say (laughs) that i was just gonna say that maybe there was a little truth in all of it (laughs) was there an allegation that she was a drug addict or an alcoholic because that could explain how she missed somebody moving rooms of furniture out of her house so i'm not passing any judgment yeah i am really but really come on like did you believe it i mean when when he said like how do you miss that yeah well it's so of course um then we got into the argument of what was in the rooms and there and she didn't have any pictures of anything in her rooms like in the rooms that were cleared out it was just sort of like generic stuff like like an antique violin i remember the antique violin cuz that became such a big issue the problem was is that it had been um they got it at like some kind of a state sale like when they were newlyweds and there was no record that anyone ever purchased it 
and they couldn't find a picture of it. So, of course, he says, we never had it. And she's like, yeah, we did. So he had cleared out all this stuff. and um, But she didn't have – she did not have any kind of list or pictures or anything of what was in the rooms. So we spent the next, like, six months arguing over what was in these rooms. Yeah. And um, so – which leads me to a bit of advice I have given people – before that um, if you have any concern that your spouse is going to take anything and she did take she, it first yeah it, well yeah <laughs> either take it first or just go through your house and start taking pictures particularly of anything valuable just take pictures of things so, so that take you, it first isn't good advice well you know the only time I ever tell someone to take it first is if there's a savings account with like 50 grand in it and like and it's just money that's sitting off to the side you don't actually use day to day I will tell I have told clients before, in certain situations, take half of it and put it into a different account just for safekeeping. Because you and I both know money has a tendency to start disappearing whenever yes, you're going through does. a divorce. And uh, you know what? That That's not good advice in every situation, but in some situations, it's not bad advice. So that's a good place to start What with this topic, what you can and cannot do during divorce. I feel like there's some overlap with what you can and cannot do. There's some things that sort of go hand in hand, but I think that's a good place to start is that's a question we get a lot when someone first comes in for a consultation. They want to know, what do I do with the bank accounts? Can I clean out the bank account? Can I just go ahead and take half of what's in the bank account? I think the the answer is you're not really supposed to just clean out the bank account. So I would not advise that you do that. Um, if you do, you will probably end up seeing an order, what's called an order to show cause immediately from the other side's attorney compelling you to return it or to put it in trust with one of the attorneys or more commonly, I think, just split it 50-50 yeah. between the parties. Even if you think it's your money. If you say, well, it was my inheritance, or you say, I'm the one who went to work every day, I made all that money, whatever the reason is, even if it really is your money, if it was an inheritance, you can't just clean out a bank account without consent either from the other party or from the court. And if you haven't filed a complaint yet, that rule still applies, really, because it'll just create litigation for you. So if you want to just go ahead and take half of it out... I have advised people to do that, especially if I represent the client who will call the disadvantaged party, yeah. the one that maybe is not working, isn't making money, is at home. That could be the husband or the wife. If they are in a precarious situation where they're afraid money is going to disappear, then I tell them to take out half because they may need it for council fees. They may need it for living expenses. They may, may need it for some emergency that arises, and they may be concerned that the other party is not going to play nice in the sandbox, as we say, and um, you know, keep paying the bills. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. You know, I, I think a lot of the times it depends on what the account is. If it's just your checking account where your paychecks go in and then you use that money to pay your mortgage and everything, you shouldn't be touching that account because things should continue sort of status quo, particularly if you're living together. If you're living together and 
you know, you had the situation like most people do of you spend every dollar that you make and all of your money goes into one account. You really shouldn't be touching that account. You should continue just uh, doing that, uh, putting your money into that account and paying your expenses unless you and your spouse with your attorneys have agreed to some kind of other arrangement, you know, like where each of you put in a certain amount of money into the account every month. Yeah. So I want to emphasize that because that's something that that's probably one of the most common issues that come up when a divorce initiates is what do we do? do now? Do we just divide everything 50-50? Do we just, I have a client now who wants to know, do we just split all the bills now 50-50? Or is it proportionate to income? And it's really not. I mean, if you agree that you want to do that and you both think that that's fair, then you can do that. But if you don't have an agreement, you have to continue status quo. So that means that whatever you've been doing is what you continue to do. So if you put all your money into a joint account and one of you paid all the bills, then that's really what you should do. I realize, though, that sometimes when people are getting a divorce, sometimes that just doesn't work anymore. It's just not practical because what I do see is let's say you're both doing shopping, you know, doing your ordinary living expenses like going out to eat or buying sports tickets or whatever it is. And you typically would take that from the joint account. There often becomes an issue that someone's now overspending. And it's like a free-for-all. It's like, you know, the, the pinata has broken all the candies out and everyone's just kind of diving to grab whatever they can. And that does happen a lot. That's a good image, by the way. That's always how I <laughs> see it. I really do. I, that's how I see it in my head. And it's really because there's no trust anymore. Yeah. I mean, even in the most amicable situation, sometimes there's just a lack of trust. You know, you're not really on the same team anymore. And you're just worried, is this other person? You know, every time they see an ATM withdrawal, right? Like $100 here, $100 there. Well, what are they using that for? Are they just squirreling that away? Or did they really need that for something? So there, it sort of becomes like this contest to see who can squirrel away more, or who can get more. And that's really where the problems come in. It's the lack of trust, which is natural, and sort of the, the free-for-all mentality. So I think what, what I try to do in my cases is evaluate what the finances are, you know, who's bringing in what, because most people aren't, they're not making an equal amount of money and sort of work with the parties to ascertain what's, what's a fair allocation of paying bills. And a lot of times we don't agree on what is fair, right? Fair is very subjective. Um, So if you can't agree, you end up in court and the judge will have to decide what's fair And I really try to discourage that because I can assure you that if you have to go to court, probably no one is going to like what the judge comes up with. Would you agree with that? I think it's guaranteed no one's going to like it. Plus, you're going to get to pay, what do you think, five, six, seven thousand dollars probably for the the joy of finding out what the judge has to say about how to how to divide everything. Um, I love how you said you're no longer on the same team. Like, I love that phrase because I've said that to clients con- so many times over the years. You and your spouse are no longer on the same team. You're on two different teams. Yes, you're still sharing the same facility, <laughs> your house, or and you're still taking care of maybe your kids, but you guys are on two different teams. So a lot of times 
and we're just talking about people that I, I always think of the people that spend every money, every dollar they make. Like people that don't have like all the savings. Well, mo- you know, most people are doing that. Yeah. Most so, people are. Most people have a lot of debt. Yeah, that's mo- what I see. Most of those people are. A lot of those people are still living together, which is a common question I get all the time: is we file for divorce, do one of us have to move out? And the answer to that is no. Um, and the second question is, well, can I force my spouse to move out? And the answer to that question is no. Well, ex- unless there's a restraining and, order. Yeah, unless there's domestic violence, which you know I do know that there are attorneys out there that will tell their clients, oh, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. If you can get, you know, if you can get a restraining order, we can get your spouse out of the house. But yeah, we don't. So get your husband to punch you or get your wife to push you down the stairs. Or just to call <laughs> and you. And there you go. Or just, Voila. To, or just to call you any number of names because that's not all it takes anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, it's super easy to get a temporary restraining order. And I don't want this to turn into a conversation about restraining orders. We can do that another day. But it's super easy to get a temporary restraining order. Not as easy to get a permanent final restraining order. So I don't recommend that anybody try that. I don't recommend you try the restraining order strategy. No, but there are a lot of attorneys that I think recommend that. Um, and if you are interested on in domestic violence and what what it all means, if you go to divorcehappyhour.com, we have some old podcasts where I know we discussed. Um, Domestic violence for in, like an entire show, maybe two shows. I don't remember how. It's a big did. issue. It's a and big. It's a big issue. But the other thing too is you've got one big expense you're now incurring that you did not incur while you were married, and that's counsel fees. That's true. Um, yes. You know, and a lot of people have can only pay counsel fees through debt. You know, put them on credit cards. Taking it out of an asset. If you have a savings account, great. If you don't have a savings account, sometimes it's about taking it out of a line of credit or a retirement account or something. But that's a big expense that you didn't have while you were married. So it's easy to say, yeah, we should. You should maintain the status quo. But there's going to be big expenses that you didn't incur while you were married that have to, to get taken into account. And then it becomes a little bit more of you've got a small group, small amount of money, and both hands are in the cookie jar trying to take, grab all the cookies. Yeah, they got fingers and toes in the cookie jar. If they're trying to get yeah. everything out of the cookie jar, but and and that is a good point. But typically, what will happen is the court, if the parties can't agree, will just assign a litigation fund, and they'll see what you have that's liquid. If you have savings, you split that. And then they'll just go down the list of all your assets. They'll look at credit, open credit that you have. If you have a home equity loan or if you have a line of credit against the house, if you don't have that already, they'll look at how much equity you have in your house and may order you to take out a home equity loan if that's an option. And then they will look at uh, assets that you, other assets that you have, such as investment vehicles and retirement accounts. Most people have some kind of retirement account. So that's sort of the low hanging fruit. It's kind of the last resort too. If you don't have anything else, then they absolutely will order you to liquidate one or several retirement accounts. And unfortunately, if you do that, you do have to pay penalties and taxes on that. And that is something that will likely be a joint obligation. So it's not like one party is going to have to pay for everything. 
Um, so, and I actually have that situation uh, in a few cases now where we're trying to resolve how the litigation is going to be paid for, and the only thing they have is a 401k. And it's really unfortunate that they have to use that money, which really should be used for their retirement, and they should share it in equitable distribution. It's a shame that they're going to have to use that in legal fees. And not because we are blood-sucking lawyers, but because they can't agree on anything. So um, I'm glad you said that. And if cause... you would like to debate that with me, the phone number is 732-545-9282. Um, so, yeah, so, um, well, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's the whole goal should be always to not even get to a position where you're having to fight about these issues. You should be in a position at the at the very onset of trying to resolve the entire case. So when we're talking about these issues today, we're talking about somebody are two people who could not resolve their entire case, and so they're going through the divorce process, and what do we do while you're going through the divorce process? You know, so back to your point, we always try to resolve thing, the entire case at the very beginning, but this is those situations where you're in this, this uh, maybe some people I think probably consider it to be purgatory, but <laughs> this, this, yeah, this it's thing, like a limbo. Where, this limbo that you're in for a year, two years sometimes. Um, and that's really what we're talking about today. Yeah. And I think what happens is we're, we're human beings. A divorce is probably one of the worst things that you could ever go through. People are emotional. They're angry. They're, you know, feeling a lot of different emotions. And it's hard to control that. And it's hard to just get over that. But at some point in time, people do need to, to stop and really look at their situation and realize that all that emotion is costing them a fortune. And it really is the attorneys that make out. I'll admit it. If you guys fight and fight and fight and you can't get over the anger, it truly is only the attorneys that make out. And there's sort of a saying that you can either pay for your own kids' college expenses or you can put your lawyer's kids through college because that's that's kind of how it ends up. So I we always encourage people, save your money. Don't fight over the China. Let's not argue about things that your lawyers can tell you with a pretty good degree of precision how it's going to end up in the end. Listen to them. But we're getting a little bit off topic. So what else you can and cannot do during your, your divorce? We we covered you can't clean out the bank accounts. Um. And oh, actually, I'm going to interrupt myself because it seems that we have a caller. Hello, caller. Oh, Patricia from Middlesex. Uh, hi. Hi, Patricia. How are you? How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I have a bit of an issue going on right now. I'm currently separated from my husband, and I have a stack of bills that have been accumulating. Um, primarily uh, insurance policy, automobile insurance policy, and a bunch of credit card bills um, that were shared expenses um, during my uh, marriage. And right now I'm getting a lot of uh, cancellation. I'm getting a cancellation of uh, insurance policy and a lot of uh, missed credit card payments. And um, my... Uh, my spouse is um, claiming that he is out of work. So um, my question is, how do I go about uh, handling this? Um, he is required to um, pay for these um, these expenses, and um, I just don't know how to 
how to approach them with that. Thank you for your question. And that actually is something that comes up all the time. So as we were saying, you have to, both of you have to continue to pay bills the way that you always did. And this is an example of what happens when someone doesn't honor that. And unfortunately, the only thing that you really can do if it can't be resolved amicably and, and quickly, in this particular case, it's urgent that this issue be resolved, um, you'd have to file a motion. That, that's the only way you get into court. So that's really what a motion is. In lawyer speak, it's just an application that gets you in front of a judge so that a judge can be the one to make the decision and order this person or both, both individuals to pay whatever they're supposed to pay. And I'd say, Patricia, it's it's a good thing that you know that you're uh, you've got non-payment of insurance problems going on because you know showing up at the doctor's office and finding out you didn't have insurance would probably be a big shock to you. Uh, do you have kids? Uh, no. Okay. So, well, even even that being the case, I mean, you're showing up you're showing up to the doctor's office and you know insurance has been canceled, or you get into a car accident and car insurance has been canceled because you uh, he didn't pay. Sometimes people don't even know that those things are going on because, you know, let's say throughout your marriage, if one person's the only one that got was all the policies were under their name, maybe you don't even know that's going on. So it's a good thing you know that's going on. I agree with Christina. You've got to have your attorney, um, if he won't pay and pay very quickly, you have to get your attorney into court really quickly to get the judge to do something. Um, and just him saying that he's unemployed isn't going to cut it. Um, you know, if if he absolutely has no source of income, which is probably unlikely unless he's, you know, disabled, even then he's got some source of income, there's got to be some other way to take care of this. So um, just don't wait on it. Get into court as quickly as you can if uh, your attorney can't resolve it. Thank you for your question, Patricia. Okay. Thank you. So that's a great example of what happens when people, as we started out the show, what happens when people don't maintain the status quo. And, and that's a good example of a free-for-all. That's, that is what a free-for-all looks like. And it's very common. Very common. So <clears throat> but a just, lot of divorce attorneys, are, they're dealing with that very issue every single day. Just don't let it get, just don't let it get, it, get that bad. I mean, um, you know, I never bl- blame anyone you know, for waiting because it's all hard. Things are really difficult. And, you know, we didn't really probe um, the caller too much. But, you know, who knows? She may have just found out about these things. Um, But if you've been getting, you know, you've been getting notices from the credit card company that has the credit card bills have not been paid. You've been getting notices from the insurance company that there's been nonpayment. Waiting and waiting and waiting, you're going to run into a situation where a judge, if you say, listen, I've known about this for months and I'm just now coming into court on an emergency, you may run into a judge that's saying, like, why is this an emergency now because you waited this entire time? You need to be proactive, and particularly when it comes to things as important as insurance policies. I mean, if someone's not paying them, you got to call up your attorney. Yeah. And if your attorney's not going to do anything, number one, that might not be the right attorney for you. But if your attorney, uh, if you can't resolve it, you got to get into court. You got to get a judge to do something. Um, and you know, we you can... also have to apply pressure on the other side. I'm a big proponent of p- applying pressure on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you need to put your boot on their throat, and that's how you do it. <laughs> right? You do. You do. I always tell people if the other side is real comfortable, why would they settle? If they're comfortable and they're not paying you and they're living in the house and you're still cooking them dinner. I actually had a case like that once. She was still cooking him dinner and she's a really good cook. And I was like, are you kidding me? 
first of all, stop cooking him dinner. Okay, stop that right now. And you have to make them feel uncomfortable. So if you have to go to court to compel him to, and you know, I'm generalizing with gender or her, whatever it is that they're not doing that they're supposed to be doing, you can't tolerate that. You have to go to court and file a motion and have the judge make them do what they're supposed to do. Because if they're real comfortable, why would they do more? It's just human nature, isn't it? I mean, I guess you could say if they're a good person of good moral character that, you know, that would do it. But obviously it's not if they're not just doing it voluntarily, right? Yeah, I mean, people drag their feet all the time. (laughs) Not just cooking for them. I mean, you've had the cases where people have lived together and they're still sleeping together. I mean, and you're yeah, like, yeah, that's you're a like, whole other show. I know, but <laughs> that happens. But I, what I think is interesting is people um, have needs, John. <laughs> they do. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, I feel like there's two buckets of divorces, um, and, and there's subsets, of course, of each of these. But there's the one bucket where both parties want the divorce, and there's the other one where only one of them wants the divorce. That's true. Yes. And yes. whenever, and you're the, kind of dragging them along, right? So you know, if there's only one person that wants the divorce, I can automatically tell you. It's going to cost more probably than normal, than a normal divorce. And there's going to be so much foot dragging on everything. Just getting documents from them is going to be hard. Because they don't want to do it. It's like getting a little kid to take their medicine. They don't want to. They don't want to do it. Or or getting a kid to do their homework. They don't want to, right? They got to clean their closet and they got to do this and then they got to do that. It's not important. It's not yeah. a priority. You should, you should see my daughter's reaction when I tell her to uh, clean her playroom. Let's just say on the ground, kicking and screaming and, you well, know, but I didn't make the mess. Somebody else made the it's mess. kind of, you know what? <laughs> I, I always say the same stuff we do in kindergarten, I think we do as adults. And it's it, it's sort of the same, you know, blaming the other person. It wasn't my idea. It was there. How many times have we heard that? Well, oh I didn't want to yeah. do that. He wanted to do that. It's it's really the same. There's there's a translation. It's just maybe a slightly more sophisticated argument, but it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, by the time you get by the time most people are getting a divorce, um they've been living in a in a let's say a challenging situation for some time. Yeah, they weren't happy last week and then suddenly today they're getting a divorce. Right. So, you know, really it's just I mean, if you it's the people that can't get the emotion out of the divorce that cause a lot of the issues here. If you look at it as a business transaction, you look at the fact, okay, listen, we have you know $10,000 in our savings account. We can each take five and give it to attorneys, or we can sit down like two adults and try to resolve as much as we can on our own before we go to attorneys. And that's where people really, um, I think, lose sight of things because they think that the way to get divorced is just you go to an attorney, you get the court involved, and then you try to work everything out. And it's something that I spend a lot of time, uh, particularly in our um, our divorce education classes, trying to explain to people that that is not the way that you really should look at divorce. You should look at divorce as, listen, you don't want to have all these fights that we're talking about right now. You want to sit down at the very beginning and say, listen, here's how we can resolve everything. You know, here's how we can divide our retirement accounts. Here's how we can divide our income. You know, and when I say divide income, that means, you know, alimony, child support, those sorts of things. Um, because if you don't, then what you're going to do is you're going to spend all this time and money fighting about temporary a division of everything. And that's what we're talking about right now is what happens te- on a temporary basis while you're going through the divorce process. I mean, I think that's all great advice, but unfortunately, I think that, um, you know, I think people intellectually understand that. But when you're in it, 
and you are emotional, it's it's like a certain part of your brain turns off and that intellectual part of your brain is not working because you're you're in the thick of it. So it is really difficult to just say, oh, just treat it like a business decision and and expect people to just do that. I mean, we're not the first people to say this. No. People have get the speech all the time. Until we can figure out a, a magic recipe to get people to, to be able to turn those emotions off, we're always going to have high-conflict divorces. That's why I always recommend that if people go to therapy. Oh, absolutely. Either family therapy or individual therapy to help you sort out that stuff because eventually you will get to a point where you're just exhausted and drained and you you just need it to be over. Yeah, you throw your hands up. You know, we, we hear that from people all the time, like, when is this going to be over? I just need this to be over. I just need this to be over. I just need this to be over. And people do reach that point, but they sometimes they reach it at different places in the litigation. So the sooner you reach that point, the better off you'll be, the less money you'll spend. Um, so that's my speech on that issue. But the topic is what you can and cannot do during your divorce proceeding. So one thing we should mention, and I and I get this a lot of consultation, is your husband or your wife is not allowed to cancel any insurances. And And I've seen people try to be slick and do it right before they file the complaint. You can't do that. So if you have life insurance and your wife is the beneficiary, you have to keep that in place. You can't change the beneficiary. You can't cancel it. You can't change the death benefit. Um, that applies also, obviously, homeowner's insurance. You have to keep that in place and keep paying it. Health insurance, you cannot make changes to that. Please don't drop someone's health insurance. That could be potentially devastating. I actually did have a case one time where the guy canceled the children's health insurance. Mm. And as a result, there were a lot of medical bills that were not covered. And the judge required the husband to pay all of them because the only reason they were incurred is because he canceled the health insurance. So any any insurance you have, disability insurance, car insurance, you can't just say, well, you know, she moved out of the house and she lives with her boyfriend now, so I'm just going to cancel her car. I mean, whether it's appropriate for you to be paying that, you have to address with the court. You can't just cancel it. So whatever you've got in place, keep it that way. You'll save yourself some trouble. Absolutely. Um, I had this I had this case this one time where um, life insurance, uh, my my client's husband was not paying the life insurance premiums. And it was a sizable policy, I think $500,000 or something. And he wouldn't pay it. Well, you know, a lot of people's a lot of people might think, okay, I'm just going to go to court and get a judge to order someone to pay life insurance. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes that takes months and months and months. And the life insurance company doesn't really care. I, I'm using life insurance. It could be any kind of insurance. You know, they have their own standards for when they will terminate a policy. Well, in this situation, I, I told her, listen, we're going to go to court, but until we get the court to order something, I want you to pay that policy because, you know, you can't risk something happening and not having that policy. Um, and this is the, I've given this advice to every single client I've ever um, had where somebody's not paying a premium. Um, you know, obviously one month they're not going to terminate your premium, but if it goes on for more than a month and sometimes the courts take forever, I'll just be like, can you, why don't you pay it and we'll ask for you to be reimbursed. In this case, um, I, I think I've told you the story before, Christina. Um, my client's husband died in the middle of the divorce. 
He yeah. died. He died. Doesn't happen often, but it happens. It, it, and it, well, we didn't know he was going to die. I mean, obviously, he wasn't sick or anything. He just died. How did it, he die? Um, I actually think he he overdosed on um alcohol and something. Oh my God! Wow, you know? that's hard. Yeah. So he just sort of died. So she she got this five hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy because she was still the beneficiary and uh, she paid the premiums. And let me tell you something. Their entire marital estate was worth like fifty thousand oh, dollars. So basically, my God. so basically, she and her kids oh, actually made so out probably they're they're going to have an easier time financially because of what happened. But that's, I mean, the issue there is, you know, you have to look out for yourself. And that's why I tell everybody: look out for yourself. I mean, you can't just always sit back and passively watch things happen. So if somebody's not paying something, yeah, sure, your attorney can write a letter. You can go to court. But you know what? Court orders are pieces of paper. People violate them all the time. And then if someone violates it, what do you do? You go back into court again. Well, you can already sit here and think about it. That might be months that go by and somebody still didn't do it. Now, like Christina, you you were just talking about health insurance being canceled. Well, that is all fine and good if, if you know, the spouse that canceled it has the amount of money to pay where all those expenses are. Yeah, but what but if what it's if something it was, massive? Yeah, if it wasn't catastrophic. She was lucky. Um, and yeah, I can't look- understand why why anybody would do that because put their children in a bad situation. Because they want to punish their spouse. Yeah. They want to punish yeah. their spouse. I mean, it, you know, I think when you a lot of people when they go through a divorce, there's some kind of combination of of anger and fear going on. You know, everyone's scared of what's going to happen next. I think everybody is. Well, David I mean, Nagel says that fear is, is really underlying anger. I always have to mention David. Oh, I think you know what? That's actually that's actually really I, I like that. Fear probably is always underlying anger. Um basically and I guess in a divorce you could say you're angry because you know, you've got so much fear of what's gonna happen next and you're angry that this person's even put you in this position where you have to be fearful of what's gonna happen next. That, that makes sense. Well, I think that fear just comes from just the inability to to have faith in yourself that you can take care of yourself. I think that's – and that's especially true for the party that maybe isn't working. You know, like a lot of stay-at-home moms that aren't working and they haven't been working for a long time. And I think they have legitimate fear that what is going to happen to me now? How am I supposed to just go out and start working again and make – money and support myself and not just be destitute now that we're getting a divorce. So that is a legitimate concern. But but we're we're going way off topic yeah, on this we, one. Yeah, we are. But I will tell you, um, because this is related to uh, this period while you're going through a divorce, if you didn't have a job during the marriage, um, I've had to have this this conversation with so many different people. Yes, you probably will be getting alimony. I mean, obviously, every situation is unique, but you probably will be getting some amount of alimony. It's never going to be enough for you to live the way you want to live. No, unless so, you're unless you're Melania and you're divorcing Donald Trump. Well, yeah. Then, well, we're assuming he has money, but yeah. Well, who knows? We haven't seen his tax. She might returns. get a building or something. Um, so go out and find a job. Even if it's a job that's part time or it's a job where you're not making a whole lot, you need to start remembering that the only person that can ever look out for yourself is you and you should never depend on somebody else for to support you because I'll tell you right now they could drop dead tomorrow and then they didn't pay their life insurance policy and they don't have any money in their estate and guess what 
you got to support yourself. Yeah, and don't rely on the GoFundMe page. No, don't. So do that. Um, but moving on to something else I wanted to make sure we talked about um, in terms of what not to do when you're going through this period. If you have children... I'm glad you brought that up because that was on my mind. Okay, good. If you have children and um, and custody is going to be an issue, in other words, you and your spouse don't already like go into the divorce knowing what how you're going to resolve custody, do not move out of the house. Do not move out of the house unless there is something in writing and some kind of parenting plan in writing that you find acceptable. Because once you move out, it's going to be much for the person moving out. I, it becomes so much more difficult to argue custody because then the person that's in the house might can drag on the case for a long time and create like this new status quo of who was taking care of the kids. What do you I, think? I Christina? just have to point out there that was a Texas ism. Texasism. You just said might can. <laughs> I love when you say that. So John's from Texas, for those of you that don't know. It comes out every once in a while. Yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I, I was going to point out that I, I get the question a lot, can I move out? People think they're stuck there, that yeah. they can't leave. You can. But, you know, there's certain caveats about that. One of them is that if you leave, you can't take the children with you. So you can't do that. The children, you need to do status quo. So the children need to stay where they are. And if there's going to be a custody issue, and really, even if there's not a custody dispute, but obviously you want parenting time, I always recommend don't leave until we at least have a parenting schedule in place for you that's in writing and has been signed. Because once you leave, you're at the other person's mercy. You're going to see those kids when... When he or she wants you to see those kids. And then you're going to end up in court. And I don't, it's not spoken, but I do feel like there's sort of a moral judgment that why did you leave? You know, if were the kids that important if you left? And, you know, I think just as human beings, we think that, right? I think we do. But, you know, on the other side, if you don't have kids, um, I get this question all the time. You are not abandoning your house, like from a financial perspective. Yeah, is it abandonment? Yeah. I get that a lot. Is I, it abandonment? I don't. That must be out there on the internet somewhere. Because it has to I be. I get asked that all the time. Yeah. Um. And I, I, we, we should say that there's really no such thing as abandonment anymore. Abandonment was when we had fault grounds in New Jersey for divorce. You had to prove that there was some fault, and abandonment was one of the the methods of fault at one of the grounds for fault. And that really just doesn't exist anymore. So whoever's telling you that you have to worry about abandonment, it's really not an issue. What you do need to be worried about is, am I leaving children behind? What's What impact is that going to have on my, my custody and parenting rights uh, as a practical matter? And you can't just leave all the bills behind, too. You can't say, well, I'm moving out. You pay all the bills. You live there now. It doesn't work that what way. What do you think of that argument that I know you've had adversaries make whenever, like, like, let's say dad moves out? Or let's say that husband moves out. Let's say there's no kids. Husband moves out. Well, he made the decision to move out. It, he, it was his decision. He didn't have to move out. I hear he, it a lot. I all mean, the time. But, you know, the other party does not get punished because they want to leave the marriage. They just don't. It, you know, the court looks at it really like a business transaction. They don't get punished because they wanted to leave. And I, I guess as humans, it's natural to say, you know, I didn't ask for this. You wanted this. So you figure it out. I guess it's sort of natural to maybe think that way. 
but it's just not how the court is going to look at it. So they're not going to get punished because they want to leave. No, I mean, I mean, obviously you can't leave and you know get a new apartment or house that's a substantially different, higher standard of living than you ever had during the marriage and then proclaim poverty. But No, I mean, look, you have to be smart and yeah. you should be talking about these things with an attorney. You're not going to say, you're not going to go leave the, the the little shack of a home and go go get some ridiculous penthouse apartment somewhere and then say you don't have any money. I mean, that's just common sense. Well, should be, right? Um, so if someone's moving out, would you say just you know make sure that your housing expenses are at or below what you were paying during the marriage just to avoid those kinds of arguments? Unless you just want to be house poor and not have any money for anything well, else. Well, I evaluate the situation like this. If, if you are going to leave, let's say it's the husband that wants to leave. If you're going to leave and then your wife is going to be perfectly comfortable there because you're gone. She doesn't have to look at your face every day. You're paying all the bills. She's living in a nice house. You just made you just did her a favor. Why should she settle? You just made your divorce cost cost you six more months and probably twenty thousand more dollars. It's it's all about putting pressure on the other part. I think I know that's terrible to say, but this is the reality of the situation. So if you think that you need to stay there because your wife is going to be uncomfortable with you being there and having to see you every day, then stay. I think I think people should stay. I really do. I mean, it. You, I, I cannot agree with you more. Create that sense of awkwardness that someone wants the whole case to be done so you'll get out yeah. of the house. Because that's what happens. They're like, I need this to be over. I need this to be over. And that's how people end up compromising. And they should compromise. Reasonably, they should compromise. Yeah. But why should you compromise if you already have everything you want? It doesn't make sense. So, And I also have my, my personal theory is that when when somebody leaves the house, when they're just like, oh, I just can't take it here anymore. I have to move. It's because they've got something going on outside. They've oh, yeah. got a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And it's kind of hard to bring your boyfriend or your girlfriend home. <laughs> Although we've so, seen that before. <laughs> yeah, we have. But, you know, it, that's to, I mean, I think most often that's what's happening because I hear I've heard so many times my husband moved out. He's got some you know, little apartment somewhere. It's because he has a girlfriend. Well, I'm glad you said boyfriend and girlfriend because another thing that you should not do during this period while you're trying to resolve your divorce is introduce your children to a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Yes, please don't do that. I mean, I know you're in love and you want to It's like you're taking You want to show the world. I mean, don't it's show like, your that's kids. like taking gasoline and just throwing it on a fire. I mean, you're just going to blow up everything <sighs> because now because now <laughs> You just made them pissed and didn't we just say that when you make the other side angry like the Incredible Hulk, <laughs> when you make them angry, they're emotional and they can't make decisions. So, let's keep that on the down low. Let's try. Yeah. Let's try anyway. Um, so another thing that I really wish people would do much less of, 
why you're going through a divorce is having your attorney write a letter about each and every little bitty thing that ever happens while you're going through the divorce. In other words, like he stepped on my foot and he or, didn't apologize. I've gotten letters. He before. ate all the peanut butter in the yes, refrigerator. I've gotten that letter before. I've gotten the letter of he left dirty. He's leaving his dishes in the sink all the time. He's not cleaning up the bathroom. Blah, blah. Man, if we could fix that, we would be seriously rich. Seriously, right? <laughs> seriously rich. Um, it, you know what? People people do this where they have their attorney write a letter on each and every little thing that happens. I mean, this also happens whenever you're not living together. You know, the kids are dropped off 10 minutes late, whatever. And then people at the end of it want to wonder why their case cost as much as it did. And yeah, like, later. What? Later they look yeah. back and they have buyer's remorse. Like, why... And I think what they think about, too, is, you know, when I when I initially sat down with my attorney, they told me what my settlement would probably look like. And I had to litigate for 18 months and spend fifty thousand dollars. And I ended up with the same thing, pretty close to the same thing that they told me from day one. I actually had a lady say that to me once. And I had to point out to her. Yeah, but you didn't listen. Yeah. You wanted to fight over everything. I did tell you that, but you didn't listen, and don't blame it on me now. So hey, I, I don't know what other attorneys do. I can only speak for us and what we do in our office. But I sit down with each person. I say I can, with about ninety-five percent certainty, tell you here's the range of alimony you can expect. Here's what you can expect on you know the properties, like because it's not rocket science. I mean, I think, I think one thing it's we've like sort of... It's almost like a mathematical equation. It is. Most of what we deal with is emotion. It's, yeah. It's anger and fear. Emotion. Emotion. And motions. Uh. Sorry. That's <laughs> um, but, I mean, a lot of it is, it, it is the anger and fear that get in the way of just getting you to a good place. Now, the other problem is that sometimes uh, your spouse will be giving bad advice by their attorney and be told that they're entitled to something they're absolutely never going to get. Yeah, that's hard. And and so you so you're looking at, you know, you're maybe looking at me or Christina and being like, "Well, you told me this is the settlement, but yet there my my husband's telling me he's entitled to X, Y, and Z." Well, you know, you've got two things. You can say, "Listen, I told you what's going to what I think's going to happen." You can agree to what he wants and, you know, get screwed, or you can You can or, get screwed. Yeah, you can get screwed. Um, but that's really the problem, and this is this is sort of not related to our our uh, topic today. But if you're when you're going through a divorce, find an attorney that exclusively practices divorce and family law. Yeah, don't, they don't do other stuff. They're yeah, not doing bankruptcy and wills and yeah, you know, none personal injury and land use. If they're doing a million different things, I promise you, they're not very good at any of them. Well, it's like you're. I mean, think about your general practitioner, your doctor. I mean, you can come to them with an issue, and they might have an idea of what it is, but what are they going to do? They're going to refer you to a specialist. I mean, that's really what happens here. Don't go to the person that did the closing on your house last week and say, you know, I need to get divorced. What should I do? There's a lot of attorneys out there that really need the work, so they'll take anything. But you're doing yourself such a disservice because you're not going to get the right kind of advice in a lot of situations. I'm not saying that every attorney like that is going to be bad, but... Well, I don't think it's that they're bad. I mean, I think having just being practical and pragmatic as a divorce lawyer is a good quality, but they don't know the law. You know, when you've been doing this for 15 years, 
you have seen a lot of different scenarios. You've seen a lot of different mistakes be made. And you you sort of have a working, you know, working knowledge that you've earned over all of these years where you know now how to prevent certain problems that you you based on other experiences that you can prevent. You know, it's like someone who just started driving a car doesn't have a lot of experience driving a car naturally they're not going to be as good of a driver as someone who's been driving for 25 years i mean that's just common sense and that obviously applies also to practicing law and specifically doing family law yeah i mean you got you just need you need to be sure you're getting good advice and while you're going through the divorce like this topic that we're talking about today um this is where the advice is paramount that you get good advice um because you know if you're not well, how do they know it's good advice? How well, do you know when you sit down with someone you're getting good advice? You know what? I mean, if, if some – well, I'll tell you right now. If an attorney, if their first instinct on everything is to involve the court without even attempting to resolve it, um, I would be suspicious of that because, first of all – and I'm not going to badmouth judges because I've done that too many other times – but judges are not the people you want making decisions about your life. Um, they're overworked. They don't have time to devote to learn everything they need to learn about your life. They use rules of thumb. They use gut instinct. They make decisions that oftentimes, I think you said this earlier, most neither party's going to like. And then you're both going to pay, what, $10,000 total between the two of you for that benefit? So if I'm someone's if someone's just telling you, let's go to court, let's go to court, let's go to court, I would re- be really suspicious about that in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, if it's always, if it's, I mean, sometimes you need to go to sometimes court. Sometimes you need to, but. But if it's always, we're going to file a motion, we're going to file a complaint, we're going to, if it's constantly litigation, 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 I would be, to me, that's a red flag. It is. And I also want to say, and it's not to badmouth judges, but I just got to be honest, there are a lot of judges that. I don't feel are qualified to be making decisions on these family law cases. I'll probably get slammed for saying that, but um, I, I'm not, and I'm not going to say names, but I just don't think they are. They never practiced family law. They never did litigation and they, they don't really, you would never hire them to do your divorce because they don't know how to do it. And then suddenly here they are sitting on the bench and they're deciding all of these these really sensitive issues in a divorce case that I just don't feel like they really know how to do. And some of them don't want to be there. They don't want to be in family. Well, I don't, I listen, I don't think that's bad mouthing anybody. I think, I think if you talk to some of those judges privately, they would tell you, I don't want to be doing divorces, but just, yeah, you know what, just save too. yourself the aggravation. Do whatever you can to stay out of court unless it's necessary. There are plenty of situations where it's necessary, but I would say in, the majority of situations, you can resolve your case without ever stepping foot in a courtroom until the day you get divorced. Yes, you can. And we only have uh, a couple minutes left, but I also want to say another question that I get a lot is, am I going to have to sell the house? Because you might get a spouse that threatens I'm selling the house. You don't have to sell the house while the divorce is happening. There are some limited extenuating circumstances that a judge might order the house to be sold, but in most instances that does not happen. So if you've got a spouse that's threatening, I'm going to sell the house, they can't do that. Um, If your name is not on the deed, though, 
you should be concerned that that other party could be listing the house for sale and you wouldn't even know it. So there is there are things that you can do to prevent that. Just consult with a family law attorney if that's the case for you. But don't worry, you're not going to be thrown out of your house. <laughs> Unless you smack up. Well, I can't curse again. I swear. I gotta, why can't I curse? It's really holding me back. That, but unless you smack your wife up, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got to wrap up. I know we went off on a couple tangents. I hope you found this information helpful. If this is something that is applicable to you or you have any questions that you need to explore further with us or we didn't get to a topic that is relevant for you, please give us a call at 732 732- 384-1550. That's 732-384-1550. You can also find us on the internet at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. We're signing off for today. Thank you for listening to Divorce Happy Hour. Goodbye.